chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose hope. I want you to remember that verse as we go into this next story. Remember that verse. Keep it in your mind. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Fix Our Eyes. And during this series, I've been asking you to put down your sword and allow God to fight your battles for you. To take, your, take the weapons that you usually battle the enemy with, put them down, and allow God to fight the battle for you. I'm trying to help you understand and help myself understand that during these times, during seasons such as these, the best defense that we have, the greatest offense that we have, is to get on our knees and fight the battle from our knees. And each one of us needs to see that. The only way we overcome during the most challenging times of our lives, we need to fight these battles from our knees. Each week, I've been reminding you to live your life backward, to project yourself out into the future and to see the end of your story, your story. And what is the end of your story? To be true, to be noble, to be right, to be pure, to be lovely, to be admirable, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That should be the end of our epic God story. And we should live each day with that end in mind so that Whatever we go through, whatever season we're going through, whatever challenge we're going through in our lives, we look to the end and we say, this is who God has designed me to be. This is who God has created me to be. And every decision I make in every circumstance of life will bring me to that point. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been focusing our attention on. So we started with the story of Joseph. And Joseph went through hardship after hardship after hardship. But he never wavered in his trust and in his faith in God. He never wavered. He never questioned the end of his God story. He never wavered in the end of his epic story. And he fulfilled the purpose for his life in the most miraculous way. He is one of the greatest examples. He is... He is a kind of, as the Bible, a Christ. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus. So Joseph, hardship after hardship after hardship, no questioning, no denying, no faith, trust, at the end of his life, he fulfills his purpose. And then we study the life of Gideon. Great guy, great man. Gideon, though, went through some hardships early on in his life, like, jo like Joseph, but Gideon struggled he went through some hardships during the early seasons of his life. And so his response was to question his own abilities. 
he was, he was questioning his own strength, his own abilities, his own, and he, was tr- and he was actually questioning God's ability to do what God said he could do. But through God's patience and through God's perseverance, Gideon became the man, the warrior that he was designed to be. Gideon became the great leader that God had created and designed him to be. So yeah, he went through the roller coaster. Some of you are on the roller coaster right now. I remember before my father passed years, years ago, um, we, he, we didn't, I didn't grow up with my dad. And so our, our relationship was rocky in the sense I didn't know him very well. We didn't spend a lot of time together. He lived in Virginia. I lived in New York. But later on in life, I spent a lot of time with him. I would go visit. I would try to connect with him. And I would say to my father, Dad, it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. We will finish well. We don't need to regret. We don't need to look back. We, don't have to, we just have to look to the future. How do we want our story to end? And then we work toward ending the story in a Christ-like way. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. So Gideon taught us that you can go through, you can question, you can be frustrated. You can, you know, pardon me, remember, pardon me, Lord, but if you're going to save Israel through my hand, how about the times where I was calling, you weren't there, I don't remember. But look how he ended, a mighty warrior. God said in the beginning, you're a mighty warrior. And it wasn't until the end that Gideon figured out that God knew the end of his story. So we've been walking through all of these. Again, what I want you to do is take a deep breath. Ready? Everybody, take a deep breath. Long week, right? Long week. Take a deep breath. Put down your sword, because now I'm going to tell you another story. The story of one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and his name is Jonah. I want to tell you the story of Jonah. And like everybody else's story, I want to start with the end of his story. And the reason I want to start with the end of his story is once again to remind you that God is the end, God is the middle, and God is the beginning of my story and your story as well. God is the end of our story. God is the beginning of our story. We need to make sure that we're staying on the road, on the path that God has called us to so we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So I want to start with the end of Jonah's story first. But here's what I want you to hold on to as we process through this. God is the end of our story, but you have a choice. You have a choice on how that story will end. God has written a dynamic story for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God has meaning for your life. God can use you as a part of his epic story that will not be thwarted. But this is the warning this morning. You have a choice on how that story will ultimately end. Not in how God's story will ultimately end, how your part of the story will ultimately end. So let's read the end of his story. I'm going to jump ahead to Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. 
Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah and gave him shave for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. It's working out well for him right here. God set himself up to see what God was going to do to Nineveh, and he was happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, hold on, buddy. You're in the middle of this right now. Hold on. He said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. I'm so, I'm so I just wish, I wish, you just kill me now. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. You did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left? And also all the animals, God's concerned about the environment. He's concerned about the animals. He loves all these people. And he's saying, should I not be concerned about the people that I created? Okay, Jonah's last words should be sobering to all of us. This is the end of the story. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. That's the last words we hear from Jonah to God. I am so angry about this whole thing and how it all turned out, I wish I were dead. So let me tell you the rest of the story. God called Jonah to preach to the city of Nineveh for them to repent. He was calling them to repentance. Now, stop for a second. This is pretty simple. If you're reading the story from the beginning, it's pretty simple. There's a God, okay, he has a prophet. He tells his prophet, go and preach repentance to these people who are, who are just awful at this point, right? This is simple, right? Cut and dry, easy peasy, right? Are you, anybody confused? You're a prophet, I'm your God, you go and, and you do this. This is, this is not hard. Now, before we move on, let me, uh, let me give you a, a little bit of uh, some historical background. Jonah lived in Galilee in the city of Gath-Hefna, right? He lived there. That was four miles um, to the north of Nazareth. Keep, these, all these, keep all this in your head. All this matters. The story, the story we hear about Jonah, here's what you know. I was talking to someone after the first service. Well, they walked up and said, I, I heard the story of Jonah. He, 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 God told him he didn't do it. He got swallowed by a fish and blah, blah, blah. He, they said, I, I, did, I have never heard the story of Jonah. That's our problem. We think we know the story, and so we gain nothing, really. But there's a larger story at play here. So Jonah lives in the Galilean city of Gath-Hefner. He's four miles north of Nazareth. During the reign of Jeroboam II, the king of Israel, 
Jeroboam II is the most powerful northern king of Israel that they have seen in years, okay? He, he, Jeroboam, under Jeroboam, the nation of Israel is prospering. I mean, he's connected with the Phoenicians and the nation is, is bringing in all these new things. The Phoenicians are running around the world getting all kinds of new and fangled things. Got, they are all the, the newest trinkets, okay, in Israel because they have this relationship with, these, with the Phoenicians and they're bringing everything in. The, the, the borders of Israel at this time have expanded to a point ha- that has not been seen since the time of King David and King Solomon. So Jeroboam, so, so Jonah is a, a, a prophet at the time of Jeroboam II when nation of Israel is just prospering, the economic development, the economic prosperity is booming. Everyone is in, in a lap of luxury. All these new things are coming in they've never seen before. This is awesome. Jonah is basically, at this point, he's able to walk around and he's predicting the expansion of the country and all the things that are going on. And Jeroboam thinks that Jonah is a stand-up guy. Good time to be a prophet in Israel, right? Good time. Good. This is fantastic. Only problem is the Bible says that Jeroboam II is an evil king because he's not worshiping the true God. Israel has got prosperity. They, their, their, their borders have expanded. Things are going really, really well, except for the fact that they're not worshiping the one true God. As a matter of fact, and we'll get into this more next week, they were, they were in such a sorry state that they were actually sacrificing their children to foreign gods. That's just one little tidbit, okay? So God says, evil king Jeroboam II. You're thinking, wow, things are going great though. Why? I don't understand. How can it be an evil king? I don't, Jonah's like, hey, you know, I'm not happy about what I'm seeing, but I love my, I love my country, love my country. Also, big problem, big problem, okay? Five miles to the east, there is a kingdom called Assyria with their capital city of Nineveh. And the Israelites hate the Assyrians. The Israelites hate the Ninevites. Hate them. They have mortal enemies. They're only 500 miles away, and they are a threat to the prosperity of everything that's going on. These people are right in their back door, and they're a threat to the nation of Israel. And this is a big problem, big problem for Jonah, okay? And all the plans that he has also, okay? Jonah knows what's going on here also, also. Because the Israelites are so consistently being disobedient to God, the prophets Hosea and Amos, contemporaries of Jonah, have already prophesied, prophesied that, um, that uh, Assyria would be used by God to punish his people. This is out there. These are prophecies, Amos, Hosea. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? So the nation of Israel is refusing to repent. They're, they're in, this, this, in this situation. And so it, you have Jonah with all this information. He understands the threat of Assyria. He understands the Ninevites and what they're like. And so you have to think about this. Any patriotic, any patriotic Israelite would love nothing more, okay, than the people 500 miles to the east to be wiped off the face of the earth. 
that would pretty much secure things going the way they're going. Keep it going, baby. Keep it going, right? It's all going good. Why should, well, we'll, fi- we'll figure this old moral stuff out later on, but just keep it going. So any patriotic Israelite would love nothing more than to see all of the Assyrians destroyed, their empire absolutely destroyed. Because here's the thing, and I don't send me letters about my English. Okay, I'm just... The nation of Israel at this point was being, they were evil, but the Assyrians will eat, were evil-er. The Assyrians, the, the Israelites were bad, but the Assyrians were bad-er. Right? This, the, Assyrian, the, the Israelites were awful, but the Assyrians were awful-er. So we can't let those guys, because we're bad, but they're worse. Now, Jonah is like, hates their guts, can't stand them, doesn't want anything. He wished they all would die. But before you and I start thinking, what adults? What, what is wrong with this guy? He's a prophet of God. God told his prophet, this holy man, to go and preach repentance. I'm telling you all the time, go share the gospel, love of Jesus, right? Same difference. Go share repentance with these folks. What is wrong with this knucklehead? What's his, what's his problem? Before you start thinking about what's his problem, let me ask you a couple questions. Don't answer it out loud. This is between you and God. Were you excited when you heard that President Trump had COVID-19? You excited about that? You're like, man, yeah. You're thinking, what, what pastor? Let me ask you another question. Were you a little bit, had a little bit of joy in your heart when you heard that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was dead? Didn't you think, don't you think the world would be a much better place without these Republicans? Don't you think that everything would go so much smoother and we would change things completely if we just get rid of all the Democrats? Do you hate progressives? Do you hate conservatives? Do you hate liberals? Do you think, do you think this, do, do you think that all blank, I'm saying blank, do you think that all blank people are blank? All of those blank people are blank. Be better off without them, the whole lot of them. So you think it'd be really just so much easier if Iran would just, we watch on the news channel that Iran just got sucked into a giant pit in the middle of the desert. I don't know what happened to them. They're all gone. This is something you have to work. <laughs> Let me explain something. The story this morning is not about Jonah. It's about you. It's about me. And if we don't see ourselves in him, we're not going to get anything out of this. We're not going to understand it. I've studied so much on this topic that one sermon was nowhere near enough to cover it. So we're definitely going to a sermon next week and maybe the third week. If you think you know the story of Jonah, you don't. Now, 
we gotta ask ourselves these questions because if we ask ourselves these questions, then we'll begin, begin to under, we'll begin to understand Jonah and why Jonah behaved the way he behaved. Jonah's heart is filled with anger toward the Ninevites. His heart is filled with anger because he received instructions from the Lord that told him to go and call Nineveh to repentance and he doesn't wanna give these no goods enemies who have caused misery in his life and the lives of his forefather for so many years, he doesn't want to give them any chance, okay, of hearing good news. He doesn't want them to have any chance of hope. No chance of hope for these folks. God asked you to preach to right at, some of you are old enough. You're sitting in your room, your, your, your living room, and you're watching the twin towers come crashing to the ground. And then God says to you right afterward, I want you to go and share the love of Jesus. And if you do, there's a chance. You know your God, you know God. He called you to do this. Now, if you, if you preach the gospel to them, there's a chance of repentance and they're gonna spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. Are you starting to feel Jonah here? A little bit, not just some dope who got told by God to do something and didn't feel like it and jumped on a ship and got eaten, eaten by a big fish. Let's dig a little deeper. First thing we have to do is we need to address Jonah's perspective. Okay, we're gonna go back. He was a prophet of God. He's a, he's a prophet of God. It seems very strange to you and to me that a prophet of God would be so angry and have such hatred toward a group of people that he is called and he's calling to repentance. This, this, this is like, okay, I understand you don't like these people, I understand the history, but you're, you're a prophet of God and you're supposed to call and you hate them and you're angry and you're overwhelmed and that's Jonah's reaction to the Ninevites. Now I wanna go back and I wanna ask you all a question because we're gonna keep bringing it back home. It's a question I'm consistently going to ask. Do you live your life with a temporal perspective in every area of your life, okay? Do you live your life with a temporal perspective or do you live your life with an eternal perspective? Because how you answer that will show you what path you're going down and how your story may end depending on the circumstances of what God calls you to do. So do you live your life with an eternal perspective or do you live your life with a temporal perspective? A simpler way to put this in this situation, do you trust God with our nation? Do you trust God with the end of America's story? Project out how many years do you trust your God with the end of your nation's story? Jonah is obviously seeing all this from a temporal perspective. He doesn't like God's plan. And so what Jonah says is, I am a patriotic Israelite, okay? I understand my God. I understand history. I understand the prophecies. I understand everything. And now, wait a second, I'm going to go now and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I don't like this plan and I'm gonna pick up my sword and I'm gonna to try to figure out how to make this work to my advantage. 
I'm picking up my sword. I don't like God's plan. I'm going to fight my own battle, and I'm going to see how this all turns out. And you say, what is wrong with this guy? Let me tell you what's wrong with him in his own words. I'm going to jump to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was sitting at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. There's his answer. There's his answer. You remember that the next time you're in the Old Testament and you read something about God, you, you question God when he judges an evil nation. Remember, remember that. God calls people to repentance. If people repent, God forgives them. There it is. There it is. So if, if you're processing through the Old Testament, Israel at this point is sacrificing their own children on altars to false gods. What do you think the other nations around them were doing? Jonah knew from the start that if he didn't go to Nineveh. If he didn't go, and if, if, or if he, if he did go, say he did go, but if he didn't go to Nineveh, and the Ninevites wouldn't repent, then certain things would take place. But Jonah knew also, if he did go to Nineveh, and they did repent, that his God, who is gracious and compassionate, would relent Possibly if they repented from sending calamity on them and Jonah, Jonah could not allow this to happen. From his perspective, this would not be good for Israel. And so he thought to himself, if I, if I don't go to Nineveh and I don't preach to them, they can't repent. And if they can't repent, then they're going to die. And that's what I want to see. Here's a deal. I want them all dead. I want them all dead. I want, their, I want the end of their story when we read it, okay, in 2020, I want the end of their story to end exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah's story. Boom! Big one on them. Wipe them out, baby. If, if I don't go, if I pick up my sword, if I fight the battle the way I think it should be fought, if I don't take a step back and look at it from an per eternal perspective, if I don't, they won't repent. If they don't repent, God will wipe them out. Their story is going to be the same as Sodom and Gomorrah's. Call it a day. Another little side note here. Jonah is in the, he is during the reign of Jeroboam II. Everything's going great. And he is preaching. He is, he is predicting that things will continue to expand, that they will continue to be prosperity. All of a sudden, maybe a little, he's like, he's a man. He's not a God. Maybe a little bit of pride starting to creep in here. I've been saying this all along. Now Amos and Hosea's prophecies may come. I'm not sure. Am I patriotic? All these things are going on in Jonah's, in Jonah's head. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
When we have a temporal perspective, it leads us in the opposite direction of God. It leads us in the opposite direction and we cannot run the race that God has marked out for us. Can't be done. We look at it from a temporal perspective. The temporal perspective takes us off course. God says, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes clearly on me. Me, stay on the straight and now. Fix your eyes on me. If we don't fix our eyes on him, and look at it from an eternal perspective, we fix our eyes on something else and we go in that direction. Therefore, you cannot run the race marked out for you. Therefore, what you said in the very beginning is that you're gonna go to the end of your life. You're gonna be true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. You can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. No, you're not because you're looking at things from a temporal perspective that leads you away from God, you cannot run the race that he has marked out for you. So let me say this once again, and it needs to be sobering to each one of us. God's story will end the same, yours may not. You will not thwart the will of God in the history of this world until there is a new heaven and new earth. God's story will not be thwarted. God's story will end the same. Mine, by my choices, may not. Now, I, I, I want to, because I know people are listening online and all that kind of thing, so I'm talking to Christians I'm talking specifically to Christians, and I'm saying this, do not let your political ideology supersede your theology. Do not let your political ideology, do not, let, do not allow any other worldview to supersede your biblical worldview. Do not allow anything to get your eyes focused off of Jesus onto a temporal perspective of what's happening right now. And so you're going to do what you need to do now in order to hate who you need to hate and despise who you need to despise so you don't even whatever. Don't allow that to happen. From a biblical perspective, you are to focus your eyes on Jesus Christ. No other ideology may get in the way of your theology and stop you from living your life from an eternal perspective with a biblical worldview. Let me explain something to you. This is my perspective. I think that Jonah was terrified that God so loved the world. And I think that was his biggest problem. At this point, he is terrified at the whole idea that God so loved the world. The Ninevites were a warlike people. They were ruthless, they were nasty, they were savage, and they hated Israel, hated them. But God loved them anyway. God loved them. God wanted to see them to come to repentance. The New Testament says that God wishes that none would perish, but all come to repentance. God's desire is that each one of us would give our lives to Jesus Christ. The Bible says while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, and don't think, well, I was never an enemy. Yes, you were. If you didn't know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, you were an enemy of God. And while you were an enemy 
of God, living life the way you chose to live it. God loved you so much that he sent his only son that if you were the only person on the planet, he would have died for you. God so loved the world and Jonah did not like that theology at this point in the history of his country. Hated the Ninevites. They were savage, they were brutal, they were nasty, they sacrificed their own children, it was debauchery of sexual, all kinds of things going on. He couldn't stand them. And that's why he jumped on a ship and he fleed to Tarshish. He went, the, God said, go right, Jonah went left. So Jonah now goes on the ship because he wants to flee, if you will, not knowing he can't, but in a sense, he wants to forestall. He wants to, he, actually, actually, and we'll talk about this next week, Jonah knew exactly what was going to happen to him if he did it. That's why you can't, you can't judge Jonah's motives at this point. You can, you can look at the story, but you don't totally understand his motives. So that's why he jumps on a ship, he flees to Tarshish, he's hoping that all these things will happen, and he's hoping he can somehow kind of flee from the presence of God for a period of time, whatever the case may be. As I was processing through this, something else the Holy Spirit put in my mind, okay? And this is for all of us. Sometimes you need to take the prideful plank out of your own eye before you can fix your eyes on Jesus. Apply that to whatever part of your life you need to apply it to. Sometimes we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to take the, the, the prideful, sinful plank out of our own eye before we're able to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and before we can follow the path that God has for us. But Jonah is like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flee. I'm going to get out of God's presence. But Psalm 139, 7 through 12 pretty much reminds us, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Listen to these words and, and, and the story of Jonah. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea... Even your hand will guide me. Even your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. God calls up then in the story. He goes on a ship, and again, I've heard this story. He jumps on a ship, he starts to go, and God whips up a storm. When did God whip up a storm? Well, right away. That's not what it says. We don't know that. And all this is important. Timing is important in everything in the Word of God when people challenge these stories. He gets on a ship. We don't know when, but a storm was just raging now. God brings a storm. The sailors of the ship, Jonah is sleeping on the bottom of the ship through the storm. Keep that in your mind. He's sleeping on the ship through the storm. The, the sailors are like, what's going on? What are we going to do? Whose fault is this? Throw everything overboard that you can throw overboard. We don't want to sink. They're going through all this stuff. They finally cast lots. The lots land on Jonah. They get Jonah and they say, what have you done to bring us all this punishment? He said, hey, throw me in the sea. These guys are afraid of God. They're more, they're so afraid of God. They're not even worshiping. Yahweh, the God, the, the one and only God. But they're afraid of God because they see what's going on around them. Finally, after much debate and much anguish, because they don't know if they throw this man of God overboard, what this God's going to do to them, they finally throw him overboard and he is swallowed by a giant fish. 
And in the midst of his struggle, Jonah cries out to God. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Listen to every word. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All its waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life out of the pit. When my life was ebbing away, when I was basically drowning, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, Anything that is a temporal perspective is a worthless idol. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the love that God has for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Like the New Testament says, offer up my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded this fish and it vomited Jonah onto the land, to dry land. At this point, there's, hope, there's some hope here. It seems like there's spiritual movement. In it, and you're, Now, if you're reading the story from the beginning, you're saying, booyah, we're talking about Gideon, we're talking about, jo I dance too, we're talking about Joseph. I mean, it's easy. this is great, because the story's going to end like it always ends, because this guy's not a total idiot. He's going to change, and an we see an openness to change. There's an openness here, and God seems to have gotten through to his prophet. Yay! This is what happens when you get thrown into the sea and sucked up by a giant fish. Lord, I feel like I got a lump. Oh, what, what is that? I read, I get on WebMD. Oh, that could be a, oh, Lord God, if you get me out of this, I will go to church for the rest. I will never miss a Sunday. I will give 15% of all that I have to you. I will not, when there's service days, I'm the first guy online for the service day. Lord, if you just get me out. Lord, if you just fix this. Lord, if you just do this. You get me. I will, I will, I, you know, I will, I will, what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. There is hope. There is hope that Jonah now will trust God with what he loves the most. His nation hope. Finally, we have some hope. What is it you love the most? The nation, your house, your stuff, your family. Finally, whatever he loves the most, he's willing to give it up for God. Goodness, it took long enough, but he did it. But here's the deal. Moments of change, moments of change and flickers of sincerity do not always, do not always translate into complete and co consistent transformation. Moments of change, flickers of sincerity throughout our lives don't always translate into consistent 
transformation in our lives. I want you to reflect back on the story with me. So I'm going to ask you a question. How did Jonah go from, this is, ask it in your own heart, okay? About yourself, about, how did Jonah go from, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, God, what I have vowed inside the slimy fish, what I have vowed I will make good. I'll make good on it. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord for everybody. How does he go from that to, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. I am so angry. I mean, it's like, do you have any right to be? I have every right to be. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. How do you go from what he, des- what he describes and what I just read to you in chapter two to, I'm so angry, Lord my God, that I wish I were dead. Now, as I, as a pastor, was going through this and taking all the nuances, I think it was because Jonah learned that the Assyrians had a god, god called Dagon, who is the god, who is the, the god of the fish of the sea, okay? The fish god. And Jonah did not find it ironic or funny in his situation. He just got throw the fish just threw him up on shore, the god of the Assyrians is Dagon, the fish god. Now, he might have not found that funny and ironic. I did, okay? Now, he probably didn't think anything about it. I'm just bringing it up because all that was funny. All right, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Assyrians, the fact that the Assyrians believed, I want you to take all these little things that were going on. The fact that the Assyrians believed that their god ruled the sea and that Jonah entered Nineveh, the way he did, will have a profound impact, okay? Profound impact as our story unfolds in the next couple weeks. You think about this. Why? I'll give you a little sprinkle. Why would a nation that absolutely hates your guts and just sacrifice you just because you came from Israel, why would some guy who shows up on their shores coming in who hates their guts and says, hey, you pack of losers, repent. Why, 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 would, Assyria, why would the Assyrians, why would the Ninevites even listen to this guy? Just a thought. See, as we close here, not all of the stories that we read and the way we expect or end well. And I say this with kind of a loving warning to myself and to everyone else. Not every one of our stories in this room and people who are listening to my voice, not all of our stories are going to end the way we expect or worse are going to end well. That's one of the things we learn from Jonah. They may, it may not end the way you expect, and it may not end well. And the last question I have for you as we move forward. If Jonah was just this dolts, knucklehead, we read about in the Bible, okay? Well, all we think about is what? If Jonah was just this disobedient prophet, 
Why is it that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all perfection, compares himself to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12? It is truly fascinating. Seriously, it is so eye-opening. It's such an eye-opening discussion, and I will tell you all about it. Come on, all of you. Next week, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity, Lord God, to speak into our hearts. I pray, dear God, that we would not follow the path of Jonah. That we may be in the situation where we're acting like Gideon right now, but God, I pray that we would end our story the way you are calling us to end our story that we would come to our spiritual senses and that we would look at life from an eternal perspective and we would see that the only life to live is a life that is, that is completely focused on Jesus Christ. Or that we would live like Joseph, who went through trial after trial and did not lose trust and hope and faith in you. I pray that our stories would end well. I pray, dear God, that no one listening to my voice will have a story that ends the way Jonah's stories, their story ended. We love you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' precious, holy, and awesome name. And I pray that you would use us, Lord God, that we would be vessels to be used by you, regardless of the circumstances. And our eyes will be fixed on you because you are the Lord, our God, and we put our trust in you. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, or we'll see you at Class 101 in a couple minutes.